For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. All right, so, you know, the end of the world, this is like a really popular subject in literature, in films. A few of us tried to brainstorm just some of the most common, uh, some of the most popular movies on the subject of the end of the world. You think about X-Men Apocalypse, World War Z, this is the end. (laughs) Down there to uh, Armageddon, Left Behind was made twice, (laughs) once with Kurt Cameron, and then again (laughs) starring Nicolas Cage, (laughs) which got a historic 2% on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you guys ever read the reviews on that? <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Toronto Star, score one for Satan. <laughs> New England Movies Weekly. The only prayers left behind inspires are for Nicolas Cage's career. <laughs> what was he doing in that movie? Good Lord. Uh, you know, what else we got? 2012, remember that? Outbreak, I Am Legend, all these zombie movies, Shaun of the Dead. Not, not to mention, it's hard to, a little hard to separate apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic movies, but you think about it. 28 Days Later, Mad Max, 12 Monkeys, Planet of the Apes, and all the sequels, Snowpiercer, Soylent Green, The Matrix really was post-apocalyptic, etc. Hollywood has keyed in to this vein right here, this fascination with the end of the world. You also see scholarly research being done on this subject. For example, uh, last winter... 2015, a group of Oxford scientists and researchers released a report on what they said were the 12 most likely ways that the world would end. Here's a a little two-minute CNN video coverage of their report. You find it hard to get out of bed in the morning thinking the world may end? Well, researchers at Oxford University have some pleasant thoughts for you. They have a list of the top terrifying reasons why civilization may end one day on this planet. If you're putting together a doomsday list, you can't leave out nuclear war. I ducked under my desk during public school nuclear tests, but the researchers say the odds have gone down on such a conflict. If you do come up for air and there's no nuclear attack, a high risk to the end of the world, extreme climate change, crazy weather, famines, mass migration deaths, and a general end of civilization. Though there's better sanitation and medical research, modern transport and density of populations make it a lot easier for a global pandemic to threaten all of us. The movies they made about them weren't great, but that doesn't matter to the researchers. The real threat from asteroids is not the collision here on Earth, it's the impact blowing up in space, thus affecting the whole food system and everything else. Super volcanoes, dramatically large eruptions, which threaten to block out the sun and poison the food supply. These risks seem quite familiar to you, but the report also notes unknown unknowns, hinting possibly at alien life and other things we just don't know which could kill us all. Watch out for computer overlords. The report says it's something that may not be easily controlled. It may terminate all of us if not checked. Bad global governance is a threat to the world. Whether failing to resolve a problem or causing it could threaten the rest of us. Don't be too scared. There's always medication. As someone online said, it's not the list that'll kill us, it's worrying about the list that will kill us. The researchers say they worked for two years on this project. I think the rest of us are going to have a little bit less notice when the end comes. I'm Richard Roth. Good luck. I'll be getting into my bunker now. (laughs) Not bad. Survey there. 
The word on the street when surveyed about the same time last winter, an organization called YouGov, they surveyed people what will most likely cause the apocalypse, the end of the world. 28% nuclear war, right? 16% thought it would be climate change, first two mentioned in our video we just saw. What about the 9% that thought it would be worldwide revolution? This would be the wars and rumors of wars Jesus refers to, getting out of control. 2% zombies. <laughs> Thank you, Walking Dead, <laughs> for vaulting zombies above alien invasion. <laughs> 1%. Of course, 16% um, think there's some sort of judgment day as described in various world religions, like the one described by Jesus Christ. 20% shockingly said they don't think the world is going to end. They don't believe in the apocalypse. That's kind of remarkable considering scientists have told us eventually the sun is going to run out of fuel. It is going to burn itself out. So at the very most, we've got about 5 billion years left. Although there's a lot of other threats, as we saw there, that could be threatening the human race before them. Well, as entertaining as it seems to be, to read and watch movies and talk about the end of the world, the Bible does not give us end times predictions to entertain us or to satisfy our curiosity. The Bible gives us predictions about the end of the world, first of all, to verify the Bible is from the one true God. We talked about this a little bit last week. But it's verification purposes. Think about it. You know, if you're, if, if you're the God of the universe and you want to communicate with the people that you've created, of course, he had to make us the sort of beings that could speak and think and relate, to think about deeper things. You know, that would be a starting point. But, you know, how, how would he give us a message? He'd have to pick something that couldn't be faked. He couldn't just say there's a secret password or a secret handshake. Because how would we know what the secret handshake is? How would we know that if, if the, a message comes in from a person or even from some sort of a vision, how would we know it's from him? Couldn't that be faked in some way? You'd also need someone anyone could read for themselves. Anyone could see for themselves at any time. You wouldn't have to have been there to get it. Something you could think about. He's made us rational thinking beings as well. And what he's picked is predictive prophecy. Totally unique. We saw last week, it's unique among all the world religions and philosophies. We saw Nostradamus and how over-exaggerated reports are of him predicting the future. But you go down through the world religions, where are all the predictive prophecies in Buddhism? Can't find any. Where are they in Hinduism? I've never found a single one. Anything like we're talking about here in the scriptures. Islam, where is the Quran and predictive prophecy? Where is Native American religion in predicting the future? What about Confucius? What did he have to say about the future? Taoism, nothing. Mormonism, nothing. Baha'i, nothing. Any form of animism. I've never found a single sh shred of predictive prophecy there. And you know, every time I teach on this, I say, please, if, you've, if I've missed anything, please come and tell me. And the result is predictably the same. Can't find any. This is totally unique among world religions where Jesus is predicting events and conditions in the future. And it's not just him, but you see it all along the way. You see from the earliest prophets in the Old Testament making predictions, some that would come true right in their lifetime. You know, if a guy makes a prophecy and it doesn't come true for 500 years, that's not going to validate his message in that day. But they would make short and medium and long-range predictions. And as new prophets would step into the stream, they would, they would say a lot of other things, but they would also make predictions. That's how Moses said, you can tell a prophet's from me. Does he make predictions? Do they come true? 
If not, they're not from me. Because God says, I'm the only one who knows the future. I've planned out in advance what will happen. I've, I've declared it ahead of time, he says. And uh, the other guys that try to make predictions, I make sure that they don't come true. And so it's unique among world religions. And last time, what we saw Jesus predict, just in case you missed our, our first study in Luke 21, he predicted Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies, and that is your signal to flee. We saw that came true in 66 AD. He said the armies will be back, and Jerusalem and her temple will be torn to the ground. We saw that came true in 70 AD. He said that the Jews are going to be scattered among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be controlled by the Gentiles. We saw that started in 70. The job was finished in the 130s in that next revolt, Bar Kokhba. And that Jerusalem was under Gentile control, non-Jewish control, for hundreds of years. Right up until the 20th century, when Jesus predicted the Jews would be regathered as a nation and they would regain control of Jerusalem. And these would be markers that would predict that the end is coming. These things have to happen before the end can come. We saw he said that last week. A remarkable series of predictions. Where are the other world religions on rolling out predictions like these? Things we can read and verify long after the fact. Some of which didn't even come true until recent times. Well, his predictions, he doesn't stand alone in these predictions either, but we also saw what he's doing is he's entering into a much larger body of predictions about each of these things. He's adding some new things. Sure, I mean, he's, the, he's God the Son. He's going to bring a little bit of new revelation but he's also predicting something and he's quoting Old Testament prophets and referring to them. And this is one of the challenges of studying Bible prophecy and end times teaching is you can't just turn to one passage and find it all there. They're assuming you've read the other guys and they're fitting it all together and it's spread out over multiple authors over multiple centuries. And so we gotta be careful as we move in to study this subject. This is where you get some of the extremism and the, the misinterpretations and things like that. We wanna make sure we're taking the whole body into account. This is one of the things I've been wrestling with the last couple of weeks as I've been working on this teaching, is how much to hit you guys with so you see the awesomenimity of the predictions without overwhelming you with detail. So let's see, what, let's see how I did with this. But really, ultimately, he's, he's verifying the Bible is from the one true God that Jesus claimed and that the Scripture claims. It's because God has a very, very, very important message for you. What is that very, very, very important message? I'll have to tell you my conclusion, okay? We're going to focus on the first part for most of this teaching. But it's because he has a message he's trying to get through to you, and he's verifying this, so you'll pay attention to that. Let's check it out. Luke 21. Just a reminder, again, Jesus here in Luke 21 gives his main teaching on the end times. It's a teaching that takes place just a few days before his death on a cross. He also recorded it in Matthew and Mark, the other two, two other accounts of the life of Christ. Each of those guys has a little bit of a different take on this. They report a little different emphasis, different parts of his speech. And you have to understand, the reason why people misunderstand this teaching, it's called the Olivet Discourse, because it was a discourse in the Mount of Olives, east of the city. What he's doing here is he's answering two questions. Two questions. One, they said, when will the temple be destroyed? He had just predicted that. And two... What will be the sign of the end of the age? 
From the way they ask their questions here, it looks like they think these are the same thing. They thought anything that can destroy the temple in Jerusalem, that must be the end of the world. Jesus answers these questions separately. And they're woven in, and, and even Luke, Luke, Luke emphasizes the near-term predictions more. When will the temple be destroyed? We said that was, it was done by 70 AD. He, he, he emphasizes that one, and yet you can even see he gives us clues within his language that show the two different answering of these questions. There's, there's chronological markers and stuff that we'll look at here. <clears throat> so let's see, Luke 21, verses 8 through 11, this is right after they asked their question. What he gives here are signs that seem to span the whole era from the first coming of Christ, which they were right at the end of, to the second coming of Christ, which still hasn't happened yet. Check it out. He starts off, he says there's going to be some signs related to the religious sphere. He says, watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming, I'm he, the time is near, don't follow them. These would be the false messiahs. This would be the false teaching that's going to increase as the time gets nearer. We're not going to talk about that tonight. We're going to save that for next time. He also says there's some political happenings. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. So he's, saying, he's picturing a, a long gap here before the end comes. The end will not come right away. They were going to see a lot of wars and rumors of wars and uprisings. He says, no, that's not the end. The end is still in the future. Nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The wars, he's saying wars are going to increase as we get closer to the end. He also talks about environmental signs. Signs in the heavens and around the world, around the globe. Great earthquakes, famines, pestilences. That would be disease. In various places, fearful events, great signs from heaven. But before all this, he says, they will seize you and persecute you. Yeah, so he's kind of giving these signs that span the whole thing. And then he says, but before all this. And then what he gives in verses 12 through 24 are near-term predictions. Predictions that we studied last time. Predictions about the persecution that they're going to face that we're going to see fulfilled as we study Acts next. Predictions about the surrounding of Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem, the scattering of the Jewish nation, and then eventually, he tells the end point of that. He predicts a long period of time, but then he says there will be an end point on what was started in A.D. 70. That's going to be the end of the times of the Gentiles when no longer are the Jews scattered around the world, but they're a nation. And not just anywhere, but they're living in the land of Israel. And then, in verse 25, he says, and then we've got signs relating to the end of the world as we know it. Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, nations in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. You can you can just see here the, the anguish on people's faces, the confusion, where they're so numb, it's like it can't even sink in as they see the world crumbling around them. The most shocking things. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. There's going to be shaking in the sky and, and cosmological changes, and at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, quoting 
the prophet Daniel, chapter 7. This is Jesus. He's claiming to be the Son of Man. He says, I'm going I'm to show up on the clouds. That's, that's the next time you're going to see me after I take off, ascend into heaven after the resurrection. And he's going to come back and set up his kingdom. It's, it's predicted in other passages as well, many of them. And so I want to talk, I want to break these signs down, and there's different ways to slice this up. I'm going to break these down into different categories of signs. I'm going to give you two categories here tonight. The first one is what Jesus calls birth pangs. Birth pangs. You guys know what a birth pang is? Jesus says in Matthew 24, 8, about these increased wars, these ecological disasters, the disease, things like that. Famines, he calls them birth pangs. All these are the, merely the beginning of birth pangs. You know, um, I don't know how many of, of you here have been through pregnancy, but I have twice, okay? <laughs> and let me tell you a few things about pregnancy. All right, first of all, you know, the, um, the body, the, the female body is not used to, you know, squeezing like an eight-pound thing out of itself, all right? And so, <laughs> these things called Braxton Hicks contractions start pretty, actually quite early in the pregnancy. It's kind of like they're not the real contractions that shoot the baby out. <laughs> <laughs> This is like the uterus working out, okay? It's like lifting weights. It's like what you do like, you know, eight months before the, the you know, the, the trip to the beach or whatever. You start, you start working out because you know what's coming, right, okay? <laughs> so, uh, these contractions, believe it or not, pregnancy is considered 40 weeks. These can start as early as six weeks into the pregnancy. Okay, usually you don't feel them that early. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, these can, these can increase in intensity. And as, as you get down near the, the day, you know, um, they can get quite painful. And some novices, rookies, can mistake these contractions for the real contractions because you just think this is so painful and this is so real and this has got to be now, this has got to be the time and as it turns out, no, birth pangs. Not ready yet. You still got a lot more labor ahead of you. We found this one out the hard way, October 6th, nine years ago. My wife, she's pregnant with our first child, right? And, you know, she starts feeling these birth pangs. And, you know, they were feeling pretty intense. And they were less than an hour apart. And we're calling the doctor. And just like they told us to do, we'd been through all the classes and everything. And they're like, well, you know, if that's really the case, then you probably should, once they get to this frequency, you should go into the hospital. And we're like, oh, we're going to have a baby. This is so exciting. You know, so here we are. We're, we're, it's, it's super late when this started. So, you know, it's like 2, 3 in the morning. You know, I'm taking pictures of the whole thing. Here we are that night. <laughs> so happy, worn out. I even got pictures of our new puppy we had just gotten. <laughs> and uh, he was pretty interested in to know what was going on. <laughs> um, but, you know, here we are. And, you know, we're, you know, I'm giving her back rubs. And I got the palm frond out. <laughs> and I'm pouring shots of whiskey here. <laughs> we're just doing whatever we can to relax. I'm kidding about the whiskey. LAUGHTER 
that was for me. <laughs> hey, she gets all the good drugs, all right? <laughs> so, so finally it's time. It's like three in the morning. We load in the car. We got the bag. We're calling people. We drive to the hospital. We run in there, and I'm like, my wife is going to have a baby. <laughs> and the lady at the reception desk, she just looks at us. And she goes, honey, you ain't having no baby. It's <laughs> like, what do you mean? We're going to have a baby. She's like, all right, fill this out. <laughs> and then they put us in the room where they put the new dad <laughs> who doesn't know what he's talking about and is obviously not going to have a baby. A <laughs> couple hours later, they finally came and told us to go home. And Jesus says, you know, with some of these things, it's going to feel like, oh my God, they can't get any worse. And he's going to be like, sorry, it's not time yet. False labor. It's still painful, but believe it or not, it's going to get worse. And it's going to get even worse after that. It's going to get even worse after that. And some of these signs really fall into that category. They're kind of subjective. These are things that have been happening the whole time. Ever since Jesus ascended into heaven and left his followers here as the church. For example, he says there's going to be an increase in heresy, false messiahs, false teaching. Well, they had that in the early church. But he says there's going to be a new level in the end times. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Increased wars. Well, there were wars the whole time. But what Jesus says is, they're going to be increasing in intensity as the day draws near. Much like birth pangs. They're going to get more frequent, more painful, more intense. Unfortunately, this is, this is what we're seeing as well. Uh, a couple of professors over in Europe out of Warwick and Humboldt University, in 2011, they did a study. They were like, okay, are we getting more or less wars in the world? And here's what they said. We may think the world enjoyed periods of relative freedom from war between the Cold War and 9-11. But the new research shows that the number of conflicts between pairs of states rose steadily. From six per year, on average, between 1870 and 1913, that's World War I, the beginning of it, 17 per year during the period of world, the two world wars, so that 30-year period or so, but then it was 31 per year during the Cold War, 36 per year in the 1990s. You know, American news doesn't often report on this because there's a cat stuck in a tree, and that's way more important than the news from the world. But that's exactly what's been happening. We have seen an increase. You know, they say, you know, one reason is economic growth and the, prolifer the proliferation of new borders. You look at maps of the world from 20, 30 years ago, there's a lot less countries in it. There's been, explode, there's been uh, an explosion of, of new borders and also the economic growth is, is causing and also the shortage of resources is part of what's happening here as well. That we'll see. But you know, um, could these get any worse? Yeah. Are they getting worse? Yeah, they are. This is a, this is, these are conditions predicted by Jesus contrary to Others who predicted we're all just going to get along someday. No, it actually seems to be getting worse. Also, he mentioned environmental signs. He says there's going to be natural disasters such as earthquakes 
He mentioned famine. He mentioned plague, pestilence, sicknesses. So what about this? These, again, you know, there were natural disasters and famine and sickness back then, and there have been all the way along. And this, this is where sometimes Christians make mistakes, and they're like, the end is near, it's 1512. Things couldn't possibly get any worse. And it's like, well, that's a subjective argument. However, if you look out at the world today, you can see that this is happening and the conditions are ripe for even more of this. What about natural disasters over the past 115 years from the International Disaster Database? How'd you like that for a job? <laughs> How was work today? <laughs> it was a disaster. <laughs> okay, what about this? Number of disasters over that time per year. Well, here you go, look at this. Pretty low back there in the early 1900s. You can see a pretty significant rise over the past 15 years or so. The greatest 15 years during that entire period. What about total deaths? Now, this is kind of interesting. Total deaths actually was worse earlier in the 20th century from these disasters. You know, part of that's because we've got uh, better prediction systems. We've also got better housing, better medical care, um, <clears throat> better relief systems. However, total people affected, again, it's heavily weighted toward the second half of that period and really the, the, the most recent 20 years or so. You know, just because we can prevent some deaths from the latest tsunami disaster doesn't mean that you're not going to have hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people in some cases living in even greater poverty than they already were and having maybe deaths that aren't directly caused by it, but are delayed deaths, caused by sickness, exposure, malnutrition. Total damage, if you adjust for 2014 U.S. dollars, again, you see it's heavily weighted on the, the back end of this. I, you know, I mean, I guess maybe we've got better reporting mechanisms now. We've got more people in the world now, so we've got more possible deaths, right? We're more crowded, we're covering more of the globe. However, I do think this is pretty significant. It seems, it's objective evidence, in my opinion, that seems to indicate that the contractions are getting closer together. World Wildlife Foundation, when commenting on the, the strain that we're putting on this planet, I probably don't have to tell you guys about the strain on the planet that we're, we're adding. They say, even with modest UN projections for population growth, consumption, and climate change, by 2030, humanity will need the capacity of two Earths to absorb CO2 waste and keep up with natural resource consumption. Yeah, you know, a human being needs approximately, you know, a certain amount of water, agriculture space, things like that um, for the earth to produce. And the earth can process a certain amount of the waste that we pump out, but it can only do that so fast. And you can see here, in about 1975, that's when we past the threshold of what one Earth could process at the rate that it was coming in. You can see, obviously, the, the major increase here is the gray, which is the carbon emissions. Uh, the other stuff is increasing at a lesser rate, but still increasing. Um, but they're saying by 2030, we're going to need two Earths, which is a problem since the last time I checked, we only had one Earth. What about disease? Joshua Letterberg, Nobel Prize winner. 
In his book, he says the single biggest threat to man's continued dominance on the planet is a virus. He thinks the end will come through some sort of illness, disease. Makes a certain amount of sense with um, over, overpopulation as, and uh, population density, as well as this article from Scientific American says, many lethal infections that antibiotics have held at bay for decades might soon return with a vengeance. For almost an every antibiotic developed to date, bacteria have evolved a resistance factor that protects them from the drug's attack. For almost every resistance factor, pharmaceutical companies have produced a tougher drug until now. Over the decades, the battle has gradually tilted to the side of the organisms like a seesaw slowly shifting out of balance. Bacteria, after all, have evolution on their side. It takes them 20 minutes to produce a new generation. It takes a decade or more to research and develop a new drug. Is it plausible that illness could increase? You know, you would, maybe 40, 50 years ago, you would have thought, no way, we are winning the war here. And yet now, this is very realistic, that we could have increased famines, that we could have ecological changes, that we could have uh, disease overrun our ability to deal with it. You know, ecological changes, you know, we were just out hiking at Glacier National Park last, uh, a couple weeks ago. They predicted that there's not going to be any glaciers left by 2030 in Glacier National Park. I don't know if they're going to rename it at that point or what. Uh, my cousin lives just outside of Baltimore. And I don't know if you guys have been up on the, uh, the news there. Just a, few, just a few weeks ago, he and his fiance were sitting in their apartment. All of a sudden... They're sitting in seven feet of water. He's diving under the water to try to save his cats, only save one of them. But, you know, this is, they've had this mess on their hands just trying to clean up and salvage all their stuff for the past several weeks. Crazy things like that you start to see happening ecologically, and there's no indication that this is going to get any better anytime soon. And so these are birth pangs. And it's possible some of this is brought upon by another thing predicted in the Bible, which is huge increase in world population. Like Revelation 9, 16, John says, he, sees this, he gets this vision, he sees this army marching to battle from somewhere east of the Middle East, marching westward, and he says, there were 200 million I heard the number, just in case you think he wrote that down wrong or heard it wrong. I was like, no, I didn't just take some sort of a guesstimate. I heard the number, 200 million foot soldiers. Well, that's crazy, because in John's day, the entire population of the world was only about 200 million. How in the world could he envision one single army marching to battle composed of 200 million soldiers? Well, think about this. Look at the world population here, you know, 60s AD or so, this would have been population about 200 million people, first century AD. And yet, when you look, you know, look how long it took, even up to 1,000 AD, look where we're at, you know, we're at maybe 300 million people. It wasn't until 1830 that we hit our first billion. But after that, check this out, 1930, we hit our next billion. 30 years later, we hit our next billion. Fifteen years later, we hit our next billion. By 1985, we were up to five billion people. 1996, we're up to six billion people. And as of 7.39 p.m. today, 
7.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996427.3445996
Today, there are an estimated 850,000. From almost no churches 20 years ago to nearly 10,000 churches and house fellowships today. I mean, what about the story of China? In 1950, China was closed to missionaries. There were a million Chinese believers. The Christians were all like, oh, we've done all this work, and now it's all going to be lost. The communists are going to win. We've got to be there to, to, to spread the gospel. Well, when the borders reopened, you know what they found? 95 million believers and over 10,000 new Christians in China every day. There are more followers of Christ in China than all of North America. Yeah, when we get to the banquet in heaven, if it's, if it's majority rules, Chinese buffet. <laughs> I'm okay with that, all right? So this one, you know, we can't check this one off the list yet, but it's looking pretty good. What about this precondition? Jesus says, in that day, we read this verse last week, there's going to be a war that has weapons technology capable of wiping out all life. Remember that verse we read? He says, if those days hadn't been cut short, Matthew 24, 22, no life on earth would have been saved. But he says they will be cut short for the sake of the elect. Well, it didn't really make too much sense in Jesus' day. You know, when the greatest weapon they had was a stick with a pointy thing on the end of it. You know, I guess they had, they had things, maybe, did they have things they could launch giant boulders? I don't know. They did in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I guess that's Middle Earth, though. <laughs> but, but you can read descriptions of this. I don't have time to get into all this. I'm, I'm so depressed that I don't have time to get into all this with you guys. We got some books out there you can, you can pick up. Uh, like Evidence Unseen goes into a lot of this. Um, <clears throat> Rochford's new book as well goes into some of this as well. Weapons technology capable of wiping out all life. In one passage it says, while they're still standing on their feet, they're going to be on fire. I mean, what sort of, what sort of weapons could do that? Nuclear weapons, right. And so we see weapons technology. You know, where are these predictions? In the great writings of the Hindu and the Buddhist sages. You know, I'm not disrespecting any of these religions. I'm just trying to point out. You can't say, oh, well, don't all religions have predictive prophecy? No, they don't. And, and I don't want us to devalue, undervalue what the Bible is doing here, what God is doing here. Communications technology capable of showing an event to the whole world. Revelations 11 talks about an event that's going to happen, and it says that all the people of the world are going to look on this event, and they're going to rejoice over it. Well, how could that have happened back in the, in the time of Christ? How could all the people in the world have looked at an event? How could that have happened 75 years ago? You know, maybe they could have listened to it on the radio. Maybe they could have got a telegraph. Just recently, we were on a plane ride. And while we're up in the plane, we're watching the Olympics live on our phones. You know, 10,000 feet above the ground, watching live television streamed through the internet up into an airplane on our personal TV screens that we take with us everywhere. I mean, can you imagine getting the presidential alert and looking at, everybody's going to be looking at their phones. It's going to be worse than Pokemon Go. 
we're going to look and we're going to see the events happening, the, the historical events happening in the history of the world, the sorts of things described in the pages of the Bible. What about commerce technology? It says in Revelation 13, 17, that there's going to be a ruler, a world ruler, who has such control over his citizens that no one can buy or sell anything without a particular mark or number that he's going to give them. Commerce technology capable of controlling the spending of everyone on earth. Well, how could that have been fulfilled in Jesus' day? How could a guy in Rome control what happens down in Alexandria? How could he control a bartering system between two merchants on the street? That couldn't happen back then. This couldn't have even happened 50 years ago. And yet now we live in a day where cash really doesn't make any sense. Where more of it is credit card or I'll just send you money through this app on my phone. We were hiking last week, seven and a half miles in, looking at this gorgeous scenery, and we come up on this little chalet here. Can you see that on the horizon? We're seven and a half miles in. This thing is four and a half miles from the nearest road. We walk up to it. There's some outhouses. Tourists everywhere, okay? <clears throat> we walk inside, and there's a guy at a little counter selling water for five bucks a bottle. Twix, Reese cups, and I was like, oh, I'll take some of those. And I jokingly was like, you take credit card? And he goes, oh yeah, he whips out an iPad, sets his phone on the table, dials into the hotspot, swipes my card, hands it back to me, hands me a receipt. And then I look at my phone, I'm like, I have 4G. In the middle of nowhere. Where don't we have 4G these days? I guess it depends on your carrier. <laughs> but think about that. You ever swipe your credit card and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, um, this has been denied? I'm like, well, I just call my credit card company. I'm like, hey, this is me, okay, this is not a thief. And like, oh, okay, that's cool. And they take the whole off my account. But I mean, imagine a situation where if you don't acknowledge the one world religion, if you don't pledge your loyalty to this one world government, you're not allowed to spend. And they can control it, they can enforce it. Impossible 50 years ago. Today, this is so realistic that you could have a scenario like this. And this again, this is predicted on the pages of scripture. The scattering and regathering of nations communications technology, weapons technology, commerce technology that was, was nonsensical 2,000 years ago, 200 years ago. A lot of this stuff wasn't even a thing 50 years ago. We don't see this in any other holy book, and we see it in spades in the Bible. And we see Jesus predicting a fair amount of this right here in this end times teaching. Well, you remember what I said at the beginning of this teaching that God does this for two reasons. One, to authenticate his message, to authenticate his scriptures, his prophets, his messengers. And the reason for that is because he has a very, very, very important message for you. What is that message? Well, I'm going to tell you. 
This life is not all that there is. God is real. He has spoken. Another world is coming. A world that will be made new. It will be made right. It will last forever. There will be no end to this. And what you do in this life affects how you will spend the next life. Of course, his standard is perfection. That's the way he is. But he also knows that we've all fallen short of that standard. This is why he sent his son to die in your place, to offer you forgiveness. He's extending the offer to you. Will you accept that offer of forgiveness? For Christians, this means, for one, this puts your doubts to rest. You struggle with doubt? Study biblical prophecy. This is one of the great things that has bolstered my faith. It also puts your suffering into perspective. And we'll talk some more about this next time. It's hard to make sense of the suffering that we go through. Jesus' followers were also confused in his day. This puts that into perspective, internal perspective. It also puts your possessions into perspective. We'll talk about that more next week as well, how to be free from the love of money and how to, how to store up treasures in heaven and live for the world to come. But for non-Christians... In my opinion, this clearly sets the claims of Christ apart from all the other alternatives. Don't you agree with me? Do you see the difference between what we're talking about here, what we read in Nostradamus last week, and the complete vacuum of anything comparable in any other worldview? God is calling out to you. He's offering you forgiveness. He's authenticated His message. He's done everything And now the ball is in your court. Will you receive Christ? Will you put your trust in Him, the one who declares the end from the beginning? And next time, we'll have Luke 21, the end of the world, part three. Yes, Lord, we thank you that you're the God that keeps His promises, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He becomes our rock in a world that is... Uh, It seems to be spinning out of control. We don't know where this is headed, Lord, but it doesn't look good. And we we see the news, God. We we know in our hearts, too, where this is all going. I thank you that you saw it all in advance, that you made provision for us, Lord, that you are our salvation, and that when everything comes to an end, we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.